0: If that is your testimony, if that is what's in your heart, uh, if that's what Christ has done for you, and you haven't gone under the waters and come up again to tell people about it, your opportunity is coming up. I want to reiterate that. Opportunity for baptism is coming up on Sunday, I think it's the 11th, I don't want to get this wrong, February 11th. We'll have a a shorter sermon, believe it or not, on uh, baptism, and we'll have our service right during the normal Sunday service. So it's a great opportunity. Be praying about that. You can be seated. We come now to the Word of God, to a message that I have preached in this church in the past that, frankly, I need every week. So uh, I'm excited uh, to bring. A message from Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7 that ties into the short CE hour series we're doing on fear and anxiety. So come on out at 9 a.m. We have a wonderful testimony. One of the members of our church about what God has done in her life in that area. And we'll continue that series for the next uh, bit of time. Let's pray together. Father, We we know that we need you. We know that we need to have our minds renewed by your truth. And this is a passage and this is a text of Scripture that we're thankful that is in the Word of God. And we're thankful that we get to hear from you this morning. Lord, because it's a familiar passage, perhaps maybe most of us have memorized this passage, we may have a tendency to check out or criticize And I pray that that would not happen, that the Spirit would come and that we would all learn something new and that we would even be moved to the point of needing to turn from some sinful anxiety that we all carry and turn back to Jesus. And what a perfect time then to come to the Lord's table to follow. And I ask that that would be a special time of really solidifying the truth of this passage and putting our eyes upon Jesus. We ask these things in His name, in Jesus' name, amen. In the book called Screwtape Letters, the writer C.S. Lewis writes um, a a fictional account of a series of letters written from a senior demon, Screwtape, to his nephew Wormwood, a rookie demon, kind of coaching him up on how to twist God's truth, or as the demons put it, the enemy's truth. Training him in the art of temptation so that he could lead a certain man to eternal hell. Pick it up sometime, the Screwtape letters. It's a good read. In the section that I'm going to read for you, Screwtape and Wormwood strategize about the best way to, to make a man give himself over to a very respectable sin. Here's what he says. Listen carefully because it's CS Lewis and so you have to listen carefully. Quotes. Two demons talking and strategizing how to lead us into a very respectable sin. The humans, the humans live in time, but our enemy, that's God, but our enemy destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things. To eternity itself and to that point in time they call the present. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with Him, or with the present. Either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from Himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. He does not want men to give the future... He listen. So the enemy, God, God does not want men to give the future their hearts to place their treasure in it. We do. His ideal, his ideal is a man who having worked all day for the good of posterity if that is his vocation. Washes his mind of the whole subject commits the issue to heaven, and returns at once to the patience or gratitude demanded by the moment passing over him. But we want the man hag-ridden by the future. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always heaping on the altar of the future every real gift that is offered to them in the present. End quotes. What is ignoring the present and giving tomorrow or the future your heart? What is the respectable sin? That C.S. Lewis writes about. It's the sin of worry. It's the sin of anxiety. And we all need this message. We all are struggling with this sin. All of us. Inflation, sickness, relationship struggles our kids and their futures setting sins in our own lives and decisions to make how how many decisions are there to make in one day and there we stand and we're supposed to slow down at the crossroads thank you pastor jeff for jeremiah 616 but it all brings so much worry so many decisions to make we need to hear from the lord and we need to be are you ready we need to be stabilized spiritually we need spiritual stability and in fact that is the context of our passage this morning so take a copy of the word of god and turn to our passage this morning to philippians chapter 4 our passage will be Philippians chapter four, six and seven, but we're gonna let me just remind you of the context. We're jumping right in. The context is spiritual stability. Spiritual stability. So if you look at verse one, you say, "Well, how um, how do you know it's spiritual stability?" Well, look at Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So in this way doesn't refer as much to what was before written in chapter 3, but to what follows in chapter 4. And so we have all these ways to, be, to find spiritual stability. In verses 2 and 3, stability through Unity. The fight between those Judea and Syntyche. Stability through unity. And then verse 5, stability through joy. And then we come to verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, our text. And that's, we're going to talk about stability through prayer. Stability through prayer. So let's read the text that we will unpack by reading... Let's start at verse 5. I want to make a point. Look at verse 5. Let, Because we find stability through gentleness. In verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be stabilized, Paul says, by withdrawing from worry and pursuing prayer. Or, the stability and protection of God's peace is found by choosing to pray instead of choosing to worry. So this text is so practical and it breaks down naturally into two sections. Number one, if you like taking notes, the choice we face. Number two, the consequence that follows. The choice we face And the consequence that follows, look look at the choice we face. Spiritual stability comes down to a very fundamental choice in our lives. The choice is this, the choice is to pray or to worry. In many ways, that is the fundamental choice of the Christian life. It is. So a stressful situation arises. A financial hardship sets in. It just comes upon you. A medical situation is exploding. Family dynamics are imploding. Pressures and relationships abound. Your friend rejects you. Your pastor doesn't understand you. A check engine light flashes. Your future career path is completely shrouded in darkness. And you have a choice to make worry or pray. This is the choice we face. So let's explore those two options. First, number one, you have a choice. You could worry about it. You could. That's, what, that's our first choice. You could worry about it, number one. So what is worry? And, and what is that feeling in your gut that's butterflies and your heart's beating fast and you put your hat on backward and you get to work and do something? What's the difference? Because I don't want to be misunderstood here, and I don't think Paul wants to be misunderstood either. There is, and I'm going to stick with the word worry as being negative here today, because I think Paul does. So let's choose a different word. Let's choose concern. Concern about today, about the issues that are piling up, is not wrong. It is right. It is so right. Concern is natural. Concern that you have for that situation is the God-given ability to mobilize the forces of the body and the forces of the mind to do something about the problem that faces you today. That's concern. Worry is much different. Worry is fretting about the Past, present, or future? Future! Not fretting about heaven. It's not that far in the future. If you were confused about C.S. Lewis' quote, it's tomorrow. It's next week. It's fretting about the future. And worry is different. It's always about the future. The Greek word for worry means literally, quotes, to divide, to part, to rip, or tear, as one scholar notes. So worry over the unknown of what might happen in the future, the uncontrollable future that tears you apart. That's sinful anxiety that is sinful worry. You know when your mind is churning and churning about and ima- imagining a fearful future? I mean, you're talking to an expert right here on this. So if you need any help understanding the difference, you come talk to me. The scholar, or the pastor, Marida, says about sinful worry, quotes, worry involves imagining future in a worst-case scenario and then freaking out about it. End quotes. That's worry. A few years ago, it's the nature of the beast for what I used to do full time. I was convinced that I missed cancer on an elbow MRI. Convinced of it. It was done. The read was finished. It was out. It was sent out. When it's sent out, it's sent out. My report was out there. I had done all I could do about it. But I... Thought about the future possibilities, and I have got one of those minds that just won't stop. Anybody there? I mean, I'm going there. I'm gonna. I'm gonna confess now. You have to as well. Later, during the Lord's supper, the what ifs, the lawsuits, and the financial ruin, and and I'm. I, Do I need to sell my house and where would I live and would Donna and Naomi take me in and and at least they have an outbuilding and now it's going to be warm in there. Um, I could live in the outbuilding. Paralyzed by fear and sleepless nights and stomach pain. have to sleep on my stomach because that's where I carry it. The pressure feels good. Anybody there? I got to make me stop confessing. I think I might be. Toxious thought of the future after toxious thought. That is what spiritual instability looks like. In the passage, and I'm not going to explain myself, I've preached this before, this is the apex of the definition of spiritual instability it's anxiety. Why were the Philippians worried in this context? Why did they need this? Well, there was opposition to the gospel outside of the church. There was the danger of the false teachers that were proclaiming circumcision And uh, inside of the church. There's the presence of the enemies of the cross in the context. Even the church, the people who are supposed to love one another and be there for each other. They were biting and devouring one another. And Judea and Syntyche even needed leadership to get involved a referee it. So there's disunity. And then their beloved church planter Paul was rotting in jail. and There's a threat of the Roman sword to his neck and plenty of concerns that could turn into sinful anxiety for the Philippian church. And same thing for us today. I don't need to to go there very long. I don't have a lot of time. But we worry too about so many different things. And many of them... How do I summarize this? Many of them have to do with money. Come on! About money. And comfort. Security. And, not just about that, but I would say we worry about our time as well. Because time gets away from us and none of us can figure that margin word out. And we worry about what other people think. So time, treasures, and don't have another T for relationships, I should have thought and text Brandon about that. But we worry about what other people think. And as one has said, quotes, these pressures mount and they bully us. They bully us. So the Philippians are worried and Paul says, and it's a command, don't be anxious. In Matthew 6, Jesus said in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. For the Christian, this battle with anxiety that will be ongoing, but we're in the battle, and that's what I care about, and that's what Paul cares about, and what Jesus cares about. Not that you have overcome it, but that you're in the battle, and you're growing through it. If you're anxious, at that moment, you're struggling for faith let me say that again, it's a struggle for faith at the moment of anxiety. Worry is at that pinnacle point in sin, and that's what sin is, it's a failure of faith. It's a failure of that moment not trusting God and his precious promises and his character and remembering the past and his track record of perfect faithfulness to you. We forget about that. And so we're not atheists at all, but we're practical atheists when we're just consumed by anxiety. We really are. But the text is a little bit interesting. It says, don't be anxious about anything. And the way it's structured with emphasis there, there's just no exceptions. Everything is sinful to worry about. Not to care about, believe me but to worry about. So we have a choice to make. We could choose to worry about it, or number two, we could choose to pray about it. It's a choice. And it's a very strong contrast. Very strong contrast. Pray about it. But, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is a command... To pray. It's in the present tense, continually be letting these things and these cares get turned into prayers. These worries, these anxieties get turned into prayers. Right away, they get turned into prayers. And the problem is, we tend to speak about these things. But what we do, instead of speaking to God about them, we speak to others about them, which is called what? In the book of Philippians, which he brings up, complaining and grumbling. That becomes the other way we manifest anxiety. Now, that's a fine line between casting your cares on a brother and sister. That, I think there's a, there's a complaining to God that is, that is consistent with the Psalms and always ends in faith, and complaining to brothers and sisters for support. And then, you know, there's the real grumbling. But he says, no, talk to God about them. Make them known to God. Now, there's a number of reasons to do this. Let me give you a basic one. If I have a problem with my taxes, I won't use Rochelle in this illustration, but if I have a problem with taxes, I could go to my son, Sam. And I could talk to Sam for two hours about my problems with my taxes. Now, I could do that for two hours and maybe that would help our relationship and maybe I would feel a little bit better. But I would still have a problem with my taxes. Because Sam can do precisely nothing about my problems with my taxes. I need to talk to someone Who can do something about my taxes? So, there's a number of reasons to go to God, to let them be known to God, present tense, ongoing. But here's one of them that maybe you didn't think about God's the only one who can do something about these future things. He holds the future and the past and the present in His very hands. He's the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one who can do something about it. Now, and that brings the specificity to these four words about prayer that Paul uses that will help us with that in mind. He uses four terms for prayer. Prayers, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. It's amazing how many he uses. Why does he use so many different terms? I'm not sure, but let me me tell you they're not just synonyms. I think the biblical writers in these cases, are choosing these words specifically. And so here's why. He's not just saying, just pray about it. Just this general, generic, canned prayer. He wants to help us. Paul is trying to help us here. And so he does by using the word supplication. And the word supplication, think of another S word, specific. Let your request be made known to God. This is a call. The word supplication is a call for transparency and specificity in prayer. And it ties right into the, to the shameless, bold audacity that we learned about in prayer in Luke chapter 11. It's being specific. In don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. If it's everything, be specific about it. God doesn't have time for that. He's running the universe. No, He does. He wants to hear it. It's not silly. Kids, everything you're dealing with is not silly. It hurts. Pray to Him. Beg Him. Talk to Him about the specific struggles that you have. So what are you supposed to pray about? Everything and anything that concerns you or that you worry about. So when a circumstance or care pops up in your day, take that specific concern to God. How often do anxieties and concerns pop up in your day? Does that make some sense about the command to pray continually? Brothers and sisters, nothing is silly to pray about. Make them known to God. He, he, he doesn't need to be informed about them. He knows all things. But He delights to hear from His children. He responds to prayer. He loves it when you cast, as Peter wrote, when you cast your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares about you. 1 Peter 5.7 He cares for you. He cares for you. I know it looks like a scorpion. I know it writhes like a snake. But your Father is giving you the good gift, the best gift of the Holy Spirit. He cares for you. He loves you. And this is why we pray. We we pray because we're in this relationship with the God of the universe. Because we draw near to Him. We find, find strength in Him. And that makes perfect sense out of something that's puzzled me for years. Why in the world Paul says the Lord is near? Does it go with the gentleness command? Does it go with the prayer command? It's sandwiched there. Answer? Both. The Lord is near is meant to be read at the beginning of the command not to be anxious. The Lord is near. God is with you. He wants you to throw the load on Him. He's in the valley of the shadow of death with you. There's the fellowship of sufferings. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. He's got you. He's holding you. Cast your cares upon Him. He's a person. He's right there. He's your Father. He's a good Father. You're in relationship with Him. And that's why in Matthew 6, which I won't have you turn to because you all know this, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly... heavenly transcendent, unapproachable one, which he is, but in the gospel he's come near. No, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, even the birds of the air. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in oh, all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And again it comes down to faith. O oh, you of little faith. We have to remember that we pray, Father. Father, we're adopted into the family of God. We're seated at his table. That tree that you see up north, that's your tree. It's your father's tree. It's your father's world. It's our world. We'll rule with him. We're going to be fine in the new heavens and the new earth. We're good. We have an inheritance. He's near us. He's doing something with these things. He's he's shaping us into kingdom citizens already and not yet. He's doing something wonderful. He's provided for us already. He is near. And when our minds are set upon the truth of that He is near, and the truth that is expounded uh, in Philippians 4, even in the context, oh, that was so sweet of you to give me the money. I'm fine, though. I really am. I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is really a bit of a cross-reference for the next verse that we will Feel. But the truth is this. My God will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This is the truth that is to well up within us. And so what wells up within us in verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here it is. As we meditate on these truths, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. That ingredient is there because it's in the context. It's, it's our heart of prayer. It's what, the, it's what the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has promised to give us in prayer stirs up as we see His glory in the Word of God. He stirs up thankfulness for so many different little things too. Not just the biggest gift of all, but for little things in our lives. We're just thankful for them. For His provision that He hears us. And this thanksgiving, thanksgiving will absolutely annihilate anxiety where it stands. It puts it down. True thanksgiving from the Spirit annihilates anxiety. Martin Luther described his favorite preacher in this way. Quotes, I have one preacher that I love better than any other. It is my little Tame Robin, who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs on my windowsill, especially at night. He hops up onto the sill when he wants his supply. And he takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need. From there, he always hops to a little tree close by. Lifts up his voice to God and sings his carol of praise and gratitude. Tucks his little head under his wings and goes fast to sleep. To leave tomorrow to look after itself. He is the best preacher I have on earth. End quotes. Everything is sinful to worry about. Nothing is silly to pray about. We have a choice to make. In many ways, it is the choice of the Christian life. Are we going to choose to worry Or are we going to choose to pray? Now, let me just be really gritty with you and honest. Put your seatbelts on. I get it. We've got this verse memorized. We know these things. But knowing these things here is different than experiential knowledge. And I think what God wants us to move into here is an experiential knowledge of Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. So I'm, I'm just telling you, are you praying? Are you praying, dear brother, dear sister? This is the very breath of the Christian life. You are literally holding your breath underwater, about to drown if you refuse to pray. So it's just a challenge, but I want to also say something else. There's another struggle that we all have. Our biggest struggle with anxiety as genuine believers, I think that this might be true. We're often anxious that we are still anxious. That we can't get victory over this. That the Anxiety and the anger keeps coming back. And I think it's really a source of anxiety. And I just want to encourage you that that is a good struggle because you're struggling with it and you need to be thankful for that 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 you care about this. That is a sign of life. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. You struggle with gentleness. You're tired of being spiritually unstable. All of these things are so impossible. And that's what you tell the Lord. Oh Lord, here's where I'm at. I struggle with anxiety and I've been struggling a long time and I can't get free of it. I need help. I need something. Would you show me what it is? I'm struggling for joy. I'm struggling to, to know that you love me. And I think that if we... Just be honest with ourselves that that can be the biggest source of anxiety of all. I think the Lord would meet us there. He is not going like this. and He's near and He's not annoyed at you. He's not annoyed at you. He wants to help. He wants to draw near to you. He is going to shed abroad the love of God in your heart. You know how I know because I learned in that passage that He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He will do this in our lives. Now I need to move on to this next verse. So let's go then to the consequence that follows. That's the choice we face, to worry or to pray. But look at the consequence that follows, and this is wonderful. What is the result of this choice to pray? that the result doesn't say, and, and I'm fine with praying for, for different circumstances. I don't think we need to be super holy and not say, Lord, I could really use this lifted. But, but there is something to, to what my old mentor said to me. You know, we need to be careful that we do pray for stronger shoulders, not lighter loads all the time. But I think it's a both and there. But I want you to see that the result here doesn't necessarily have anything to do with our circumstances. It doesn't. Verse 7, here is the results, the promise for this passage. And the peace of God, after you choose to pray, knowing the Lord is near, a thankfulness welling up in your heart, and you're praying, and the Lord's answering, because He always does, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Christian, if you pray instead of worry, the text says that the peace of God will guard you in Christ Jesus. So, let me give you three brief observations about that peace to help unpack this for you. Okay, I hope this is helpful. We're going to need to move quickly. This peace in verse 7 is the peace of God. This is experiential, Peace. This is active, real, present tense peace. This is inner tranquility. Did you like that? Because I I want you to make sure that we're not talking about objective peace with God, like you got saved here and you're reconciled with God. No, this is the experience of the peace of God in your life. It really is. That's important. Now, this peace is promised by Jesus. In John 14.27, just write that reference down and listen. John 14.27 says, Jesus is speaking, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives you. Oh, the world's peace is a sham and short-lived. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. See, there it is. Nor let it be Fearful. So Christ gives peace. He gives this gift of a heart that is not troubled. You know if you struggle with anxiety and everything that fuels that, you know that it's true. You didn't think I was going to say that. You know that it's true. I'm sorry that it's only one minute of your entire day, like me. Come on. But it's true. You've experienced it. And he wants to walk. let us walk in it more and more. I admit that it seems to be fleeting. But Christ gives us this peace. This is the peace of God. It's Christ's peace. Now Christ knows about this. Listen to me. Was life easy for Jesus, the God-man? How was his 401k? Was he successful by the world's standards? Complete loser by the world's standards. I say that reverently by the world standards. He understands this. He understands our pressures. He burst into sobs at the tomb of Lazarus and the tears of his beloved Mary and Martha. He was indignant in the house when Judas suggested that Mary wasted pouring out that ointment on his feet. He was filled with righteous, godly fury that his father's house was turned into a shopping mall. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, amid great cries of out to his father repeatedly, and tears and sweating great drops of blood, He cries out, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Brothers, what do you think about that? Oh, you're sleeping again. And even on the cross, hanging there, pinned to the tree, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me as the full penalty of whatever hell itself was poured out upon Him and His own body in six hours. He knew suffering and circumstances beyond what we can even conceive of. And so the Lord Jesus Christ didn't, didn't rely on His deity at that point. No. By the power of the Spirit in humanity, He trusted His Heavenly Father and He fought for peace and there was no flurry in his life there's no frantic craziness there was no sinful worry in him praise god or we'd be doomed but he rested in his father's arms he trusted in the promises of god we see that in in the storm on the sea of galilee i mean what i mean he's tired from ministering all day and the waves are coming in and he's asleep on the bottom of the boat because he's trusting in his god the fishermen are freaking out. They wake him up. Jesus gets stern with the lightning flashing and the water's pouring into the boat. Peace. Be still. And a great calm was given by the Lord, the Lord who was near. Anybody feel like they're in a swamping boat? Boat that's sinking? He's there unstable waves. He's in your boat. He's in the boat with you. Peace. Be still. So this is subject. This is an aggressive peace, experiential peace that comes from Christ. You can't work it out in your mind. It doesn't really make sense, but it is a gift of God. Now notice what this peace does. Secondly then, the activity of peace. Peace. The first was the nature of peace, if I didn't say that. Secondly, the activity of peace. What does the peace of God do? The peace of God, and this is a promise, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Your hearts and your minds are not overlapped semantically. They are very emphatic. I'm not going to explain it. I don't have time in the Greek text. They're separated for a reason. He's focusing on two aspects of you Your feelings and your thoughts. Both. That's the inner man. Your feelings and your thoughts. Allow me to illustrate this. Think about this. Now, I went to Vienna a couple of times, helping with the church plant, helping with the Harness family and their mission. And just outside of Vienna, I don't remember... But it was so beautiful. We went to the r- ruins together of an old castle, overlooking the water. And apparently, and I might be wrong in this, you can correct me later. But apparently, the ruins of an old castle, where the, at least it was rumored, where Richard the Lionhearted at, at one point supposedly lived. So in this castle, and I was thinking of that castle, and I'll picture a castle up in the uh, up in the mountains or foothills, at least and you've got the moat, and you've got the water around it, and you've got those tall walls, right? And it's protected. I think that's a good picture here. Your thoughts and your feelings are inside of the walls of that castle. Are you with me? That's your inner man. Now, from the outside comes the assault of the circumstances and the cares of of that day of your life that you're, you're plummeted by circumstances. Anybody got circumstances? I'm not dealing with that. That is a given in this passage. Now listen, You're inside the castle. They're coming. The circumstances are coming. Now what this text is saying is that right away as those cares and circumstances come to the wall of the castle, this text is telling us immediately, day by day, moment by moment throughout the day to to cast those cares, those those thoughts, that concern, and turn that into a specific Thanksgiving-filled prayer that's specific right away in that situation. You can't really do that to have that truth there to even remember this verse unless you're meditating, memorizing the Scripture right in the middle of your day, unless you have a sheath that carries the Bible. I might be the only one that actually does that. But that would be weird. You might have the phone, but you've got to memorize the Scripture. And then right there, that's the first, right there, this this is what I want you to know. The circumstances come in If you don't make the choice, if you choose to worry, I don't want you to be surprised that your thoughts are wrong and sinful and not the truth and your feelings are inside out. You've let it in. You see, you have to make this choice and what happens is the only thing that is then in the castle with you is the near God the is of the Spirit of God. He's there with you in the castle. And that peace that comes as you're thankful for the truth then does battle to keep those cares from turning, in, turning into worries. And that peace then is stationed all around the castle all the day that protects your thoughts and your emotions which are separated in this passage. But very connected, you know. And so those cares, he, he, the Spirit keeps you from souring your thoughts, attitudes, and emotions by these things. It's the guardian of peace that never sleeps at its post. Now listen carefully then. That's what I liked about the testimony this morning. It's she, she said right away when I... I've been I've learned that when those thoughts come I have to take them captive into obedience to Christ right away. I've got to turn it into prayer. I've got to do that battle, right? So what we tend to do is to say this passage doesn't work because we're struggling with sinful anxiety and bad thoughts and feelings. You know why? Because we're not obeying this passage. So don't We got to we got to work the passage in the power of the spirit. That's when the peace comes. You're not going to be very successful at this, but but you're going to begin together, we work together to do this together and you're going to see that this indeed is God's way and he is going to answer this prayer. And we're going to more and more be able to do that and that is called are you ready? sanctification and growth in Christ. Is that a process or is it done all in one moment by reading a verse? Yes, which one? It's a process. It's a battle. It's a struggle. So I love that you don't want to be anxious anymore. That means we're in, together. We're in it together. We need each other to remind us of the truth. And finally, then, the sphere of peace. Where do we find this peace? I just want to remind everybody in this room, you only find this, the text says, in Christ Jesus. These verses are only for you if you are in Christ Jesus. So, these verses are for you if you have turned from your sin and said, I I don't want my self-righteousness and I can't earn heaven and I need Jesus. And you turn to Him, helpless and hopeless, and say, Jesus, I believe You. I need You. And, by, and the Holy Spirit then plunges you into the finished work of Christ. Into His death, burial, and resurrection life. And you are forgiven of all your sins. You're clothed with His perfect righteousness. You're adopted into your family. You can call Him Father and He's near. Then this passage is for you. This passage is just psychobabble for those who are outside of Christ. So the first thing you need to do is find someone and talk to them about getting peace with God so you're not an enemy but you're brought into His family and then we can talk about the peace of God throughout our lives as believers. What a passage. It's the New Testament equivalent of Isaiah 26 verse 3. We should memorize it. Maybe it's in set 4. I haven't looked. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Men, musicians, if you could come forward as we continue to reflect on this message in the Lord's table.